Welcome to Red Dice Diaries with Hannah and John. Hi. And today we're talking about Screaming Skulls. Okay, so as Hannah said, today we're going to be looking at Screaming Skulls. Now, the Reader's Digest Folklore Myths and Legends of Britain says that Screaming Skulls are the skulls of former occupants of houses where if the skull is removed from the house or if any attempt is made to bury them, hideous screams ring through the house and dire misfortune falls upon the occupants. Understandably, the matter is seldom put to the test. So, I don't know if you remember when we were kids, there was one of these up in a farm up in the Peak District, probably, I don't know, 30, 50 miles north of where we live. It made the papers now and then. I've got to admit, I don't really remember it. And and obviously, I've looked it up, looked it up a little bit since you mentioned it earlier when we were talking about this episode. But I don't really remember hearing about it when I was young. Uh, apparently, he's now been put to rest. Okay. Um, he's been buried in the local churchyard, or so the rumour says. Um, so, where, so whereabouts was but, this located then? Well, that seems to be like the most far south that I can find one. Okay. So they're all the north of England. And they're mostly around like Yorkshire or further. Yeah. Um, but there's also an odd one in Sussex that I've just spotted on Wikipedia. I do apologise. So they're from all over England, but they're mostly up north. Yeah, so for those of you who aren't aware of like the legend of Screaming Skulls, as with the Reader's Digest sort of definition at the start of this episode, it's normally someone dies under certain circumstances. Well, yeah, this is the thing, because they're all local legends. Each skull's got his own very specific story, or her own very specific Yeah, but very, ba- very basically, it's someone dies, yeah. they ask for their remains or their skull to be put in a building or in a certain place. It's put there for a bit, or someone says they're not going to do that either way the remains end up not being where they wanted to and all manner of supernatural shenanigans and screaming and Mm -hmm. poltergeist activity and stuff like that breaks out until inevitably the parties involved fulfill the wishes put the skull or the bones or whatever in the house and then all ghostly activity ceases Mm -hmm. okay so i've got a few examples here have you got any examples you want to yeah do you want to have a look at the ones in the book first and Okay, so this one I'm looking at is Derbyshire Ghosts and Legends by David Bell. And this is the one you were talking about earlier, I think, Tunstead. Yeah. Uh, Dickie's Skull, as it's titled in here. It's supposed to be an ornament, as of time of printing of this book, that graces the windowsill of a farmhouse two miles southeast of Whaley Bridge. It's a human skull known as Dickie, and it's been there for 370 years. It's a rich shade of olive green. I don't know why. So... Dicky is supposedly like an old soldier who uh, the version I heard said he died in France, but the version in this book said uh, he came back from France wounded. Yeah. Um, the version I read said that it was only his head that got brought back and thus it just got left on the mantelpiece in the farm while they tried to decide where to bury it. And every time they tried to take it away, Dicky got wound up and various poltergeist stuff would ensue. Um, version in here talks, I think, a bit about... Uh, yeah, he was causing trouble for the railway engineers for a while until a local poet called Samuel Laycock wrote a poem for him. And supposedly since then, Dickie's school was quiet. 
Okay. And then about 20, 25 years ago, some new people bought the farm and they're like, we don't want this skull. So they gave it to the church. Okay, so that's a dicky, the skull. Have you got another example? Well, I've got two or three, actually. Um, I've looked up about 20, 30 of these stories, and they generally fall into one of a few categories. We've either got a wronged noblewoman who loves her home and has asked to be interred there, but the priesthood disapproves, so she's buried in the churchyard and screams until her skull's back in the house. We've got a poorly treated slave who begs to be freed so he can die in his home country or begs to be buried in his home country, but his master refuses, has him buried in the local potter's field and he haunts the local village until the skull is taken into the master's home. Okay. We have um, resurrectionists who've stolen a body for study and then the skull didn't like them messing and now they've got to have the skull in their home forever as punishment okay and uh one of the more interesting ones which seemed to be one of the earlier ones um parliamentarian soldiers have heard what had been done to cromwell's body uh cromwell's head was on a spike in london for nearly 30 years yeah because they dug him up after he died didn't they yeah people are going to throw shit at it and whatever um he didn't like what was done to cromwell's body particularly to cromwell's head he was afraid that when he died, the royalists would dig him up and do the same to him. Yeah. So he insisted that his family decapitate his corpse and then hide the head in the house So somewhere. they couldn't get at it. So, yeah, um, various different sorts of ways these skulls can come about, and it might be quite fun for us to put together a little chart and put it on a blog at some point. Yeah. We'll link to it if we do that. If not... Feel free to have a go yourself. Um, So in terms of how this relates to RPGs, Mm -hmm. I think, again, this is what I like to call a sort of like, I suppose, like a plot monster or like a background monster Mm -hmm. because the, the Screaming Skull itself isn't that interesting a monster on its own. It's just a skull that if you move it, it screams and causes shenanigans. The real interest in it is sort of finding it and then going, oh, well, why does this thing scream Mm -hmm. when you take it out of the house? Oh, what's causing that? Can we lay it to rest? And as a GM, you can sort of drop hints around this. It's a bit like a sort of mystery monster where you can drop these little yeah. hints about what happened in the past. The players can do some like investigation, find out what occurred, and maybe then they can lay the spirit to rest. Mm-hmm. Now, they might do that because they're being hired by NPCs or like, oh, I can't cope with this. I mean, to be fair, the obvious question to ask would be if the npcs remove the skull and it starts kicking all this stuff off why don't they just put it back you know instead of hiring some expensive adventurers but maybe the skull was stolen by somebody so they can't get it back maybe it was destroyed in an accident who knows maybe they can't put it back for some reason so they've had to hire these adventurers because they're like oh we can't put up with this constant screaming and all these ghostly shenanigans maybe the skull was even act- actually moved by the spirit itself. Maybe it's trying to get itself laid to rest. So mm. it kicks off all these shenanigans because it doesn't have a, a more sort of nuanced way of interacting with the people in the building. Now, another thing that could happen D&D-wise yeah. is that, obviously, a spirit can't always easily communicate with a normal person. But then you get into your necromancers and your clerics with their death magic and whatever. It might actually turn out that this is a really useful NPC with a shed load of local knowledge 
who's willing to share that knowledge with you as long as you dust his shelf now and then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've also got the possibility of, even if you can speak to the dad, like, okay, let's say this guy was, or this girl who was is now the skull, was murdered, and they want, like, revenge. What's to say that they saw the person who murdered them? Mm-hmm. Maybe they were strangled from behind. Maybe it was dark. Mm-hmm. Maybe, assuming the skull only has the knowledge it had when it was mortal. Um, so maybe that's why it's lashing out, because it's frustration that it, like, can't... Maybe if it knew who the killer was, it could do it itself, but... It could also not be acting out because of harm to itself, rather because of potential harm to the family or the building that it's protecting. Yeah, and we start getting into that whole sort of idea of like um, like an omen monster there, you know, like mm-hmm. a, like banshees in traditional like mythology, where they're sort of like dire omens and portents of things that are going to happen in the future. And again, you could use that to sort of hint or sort of be a precursor to some sort of later event going on so for instance oh i don't know let's say ages ago you said oh there's a dungeon on the outside of town and like it's a temple and like evil culty types are using it and the players were like yeah well, no, no man we'll, we'll get around to it at some point and that's been building up and building up and building up in the background maybe you want to like drop in this sort of omen this screaming skull maybe it's one of the victims of the cult the cult's about to make its big push for power and the spirit's actually just in its own way because it can't talk normally. Maybe it's trying to say, like, oh, like, something needs to be done about this, something needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So they don't necessarily have to be antagonistic. So are we going to talk about the movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. We watched a, um, as part of our research, in inverted commas, for this mm-hmm. episode, we watched a black and white film from 1958, yep. which is called The Screaming Skull earlier on. And it's basically now. If you don't want to know the plot of it, I'm going to spoiler it. But it's a 1958 film, so like you know, deal with it. It's basically the story of a man whose like wife died under extremely suspicious circumstances. Uh, they have a gardener who seems to have some sort of a mental like disability. Who is very close to her. Um, he brings his new wife home. She's very lovely, but she saw her parents get killed when she was young. She's quite mentally unstable. And she's, she's quite rich too. She's extremely rich his fortunes are on the downturn i think you can probably see where this is going she starts like hallucinating in inverted commas seeing these skulls all over the place long story short husband's trying to basically make it look like she's going mad he's then going to offer make it look like suicide take all of the money thank you very much the gardener sees him doing this alerts people so that they're sort of racing to try and stop him from killing her however he, he literally is at the point where he's strangling her into unconsciousness here's a knock at the door and it's a bit of a sort of bait and switch. You think, oh, the, the vicar and his posse have arrived to stop him. He goes to the door and there's this figure stood there in his wife's clothes with just a skull for a head. He goes running out of the building. There's like badly special effect overlaid like skulls <laughs> looming out and screaming at him. He eventually gets like attacked by this unseen presence, falls into the pond where his wife died. He dies. But the wife wakes up. She's not been a... She's not been strangled by him after all. She's not dead. Just as like the vicar and his posse arrives. And then the last scene of the film is the gardener sort of leaning over this pond where the original wife died saying, oh, you can rest now, Marianne, you can rest. And it's, it's, quite, it's quite an enjoyable yeah, film. I, it, I liked it. It was quite a charming little 1950s black and white movie. It was worth every penny we paid to watch it for free on YouTube. Yeah, and like I say, I'll, I'll put a link in the description if you want to go and watch it on YouTube. But, um, yeah, I like the fact that they went 
quite early on they were like oh yeah the husband's up to it he's trying to get her and then they're like oh but actually there is a ghost as well so i quite like that you know they sort of double down on like the ghostly stuff so like at the start it's implied that oh it's a bit of a mystery what's going on is she going really mad again is her husband trying to kill her is it an actual ghost and then they're like actually it's it's pretty much all of them <laughs> which i quite like it's a very straightforward film like i say it's from the it's from the 50s it's black and white obviously but i enjoyed it see i very much like that bait and switch confusion stuff with it because several of the actual screaming skulls um have been like looked at by uh forensic people people that know what they're talking about with yeah. skulls and they basically said oh, skullologist oh the skull doesn't match the description of the person that the story about this oh, skull like the goes with. A female skull or so like particularly uh, one of the ones that was supposedly like a slave that had been mistreated it turned out to be a European woman, yeah. even though it was supposed to be a West Indian man. Um, so it's that whole bait and switch of well, these skulls should still be getting respect. The people who died should still be getting yeah, of course respect to their remains. And for whatever reason, the people around there still believe that it's respectful to keep that particular skull on that particular shelf or whatever. But at the same time, it turns out the story that you've got to tell you to do that doesn't apply to that particular skull. Yeah, I mean, I think the other potential use in the sort of D&D or roleplay environment is sort of like a bit as a bit of a cautionary tale because obviously like mm-hmm. characters, NPCs, monsters, and whatever tend to die an awful lot in like D and D games, particularly if you're playing like old school games. And often we don't really think about it. You have a few words, people move on. That that's absolutely fine. But the the, the screaming skull, you can use that to make the point that like even though a person's gone, there's still potential consequences for like disrespecting a body. Or like mm-hmm. not following the wishes of the person who's passed on, so I think it's useful as a good cautionary tale. You can use it as a portent of dooms and omens to come, or you can use it as a bit of an investigative scenario where you're trying to find out what's going on. Or to be honest, if, if you want to if you want to boil it down to brass tacks and you want something very simple, maybe it's used as an alarm system by someone. Oh yeah, you've got it. You've got like a, ro- a hidden rope strung across your entranceway. Oh, the, the rope's tied to the skull. Someone tries to break in, it falls off its alcove, immediately starts screaming, everyone <laughs> in the house knows. Now, that's a bit of a ridiculous example of, like, a dungeon trap. But, you know, if you want to put an alarm system in, it's a bit more interesting than the standard, oh, you move a rope, or some bells go off, or a cymbal goes off, or whatever. You know, there's, a, there's an awful lot you can do with the idea of a skull that screams won't move. Mm-hmm. So we encourage you to go out there try using it in your own D games let us know how you've used it in your D games if you want to get in touch with us and tell us your stories of screaming schools or anything else connected to episodes we've done or just have a bit of a natter we do enjoy getting your voicemails you can get in touch with us using the SpeakPipe app link in the description or using our anchor account so until we see you next time take care stay safe and whatever you're playing have fun Bye.